You know that we've been working through a series, a series called The Essential Teachings of Jesus, Words to Live By. And two weeks ago, we heard from a man, a theologian, a scholar, a teacher, Scott McKnight. And Scott McKnight talked about this thing called the Jesus Creed. Jesus' own words about what it means to be spiritually formed and forever changed. He taught us that the Jesus Creed challenges us to be mindful of loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And he told us that, that if we did this throughout the day, as many times as we could remember, if we recited this prayer for at least 30 to 40 days, that our hearts would change, that we would see things and hear things, that we would be engaged in life in such a way that, that it would forever change us. I've been trying to do that, and I hope that you have as well. Last week, we passed out a card with the Jesus Creed on it, and we asked you to put it on on your mirror, to put it alongside your bedstand, and try to read this prayer as often as you can. Well, in order for me to do it today and for you to stay caught up, we're going to say it together, the Jesus Creed. It'll come up on our screens now. Saying with me, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is an essential teaching to us, foundational. And it, this morning, reinforces what, what we'll hear from our gospel account from Matthew 25 this morning. It, it ties into the essential teaching for today. It's a teaching that transforms us and shapes us and forms us, as well as the essential truth from today. Hear the word of God as it comes to us in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, 
you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and that did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. If we're going to sing the prayer of St. Francis, then we're going to respond to the scriptures the right way. A harsh word this morning. A, A tough word. A word about judgment. A question for us. And the question is, are we goats or are we sheep? Jesus used parables to communicate the essential truth and teachings that that God desires us to live by. The essential teaching in this parable is how we are called to live until Jesus returns. In the words of a favorite British theologian of mine, James Barclay, He says this, this is one of the most vivid parables that Jesus ever spoke. And the lesson is crystal clear that God will judge us in accordance with our reaction to human need. His judgment doesn't depend on our knowledge. It doesn't depend on our fame or the fortune that we've gained. But simply on the help that we've given others. One day you and I will be called to take account of how we've lived our lives on this earth. And the question will be, are we sheep or are we goats? Now, I think this thought can ruffle our Protestant feathers because we're taught that we're saved by grace through faith alone. Saved by grace through faith alone. We're saved by the mercy and the grace of Jesus and what he did for us by taking our sins upon himself on the cross. And it's through faith in Jesus that we are saved. But we are a changed person when we genuinely accept Christ. There's a spiritual rebirth. We're given a new nature. And God calls us to nurture that Christ-like nature through obedience to Jesus. It's God's grace that saves us. But God's grace doesn't cancel our duty to obey him. Now the goats in this passage, if they had faith, they never let it move from their heads to their hearts. Theirs would have been an intellectual belief in Jesus without genuinely giving their hearts and their lives, without embracing this changing experience of God's grace and mercy to penetrate into their being. There were no actions that they displayed Nothing that 
pointed to this inward change that true faith brings to our lives. As we wait for the return of Christ, as we live our lives on this earth, we are called to a living faith. Faith that tries through obedience with the help and the gift of the Holy Spirit to follow Christ's examples and teachings. We are saved by grace through faith, but we are called to a living faith. Not a dead faith, but a living faith. Follow with me what James tells us in the second chapter of his letter. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. Dead faith, living faith, goats and sheep. We're not called to a dead faith, but a living faith. A living faith that transforms how we act and behave. It's a true faith that always results in changed lives and in good deeds for others. Good deeds of loving service. But they don't substitute for faith. Rather, they're a witness to our faith. They exemplify outward expressions of what we believe. Our new nature, the nature of Jesus, will increasingly express itself in our lives as we try to live obediently to his teachings. It is God's grace that saves us. But it's our grateful response to that love and grace that we've been given that causes us to act and love differently. So what's the essential teaching that Jesus wants to follow in this parable? It's to help those in need. It's to see the need of our neighbors. It's to respond in action. It's to do the Jesus creed to love our neighbor. And in so doing, Jesus tells us this important truth in the parable. When we love our neighbor, we are loving God with our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength. Jesus said we love him. You know, it seems so simple, doesn't it? But why is it so hard for us? Why do we hesitate? What holds us back from living out God's command to help those in need, to love our neighbors as ourselves? I want to explore that just briefly with you. I think there are obstacles and barriers. I'm going to name a few that seem evident to me. One of them is our busyness. I think we suffer from a disease called hurriedness. We're busy going nowhere fast. We're spending a lot of time to... To, to move quick, and many of us measure our significance by how busy we are. <laughs> I'm more important than you because I'm busier than you. See, the fast pace of life, it wears us out. It, it distracts us from being near and in touch with those in need around us. Why? Because we're just running right by them in our busyness. For some of us, it's being consumed in ourselves and in our own world. 
and its challenges, we become myopic, we become absorbed, we become focused on our own needs. It could be a need for security or success or safety, but it's the things and the stuff of our culture that give us a temporary feeling of gratification. John talked about that last week. He talked about the things that we hold on to, that hold on to us, that grip us, and that we need to open our hands and let go. Let go of the fears, let go of the burden. We need to let go of those things that grip us and invite God to take them from us, to release us from them, from our own physical and emotional pains, from our own scars and wounds that imprison us. The the barrier of busyness, the barrier of our myopic focus on ourselves. Another barrier could be complacency or stagnation or laziness or being immobilized. It's realizing that we've been waiting for life to begin somewhere off in the future. Life will change when the kids are gone and the nest is empty. We'll spend more time doing things than for others. We'll spend more time waiting and wishing for the right time, the right opportunity, the right season. And many of us live life waiting for that season to come and then we die. It could be the thought that that I have so little to offer. What could I give? I have nothing for my neighbor. Those are obstacles. There's many more. But, But let me talk to you simply about how we do it. How do we respond to God's grace and forgiveness and love for us? Well, we simply take it in. We receive it. We realize that it's not about our worthiness or our worthlessness but it's about how God sees us, not how we see ourselves. It's really important. It's about how God sees us and not how we see ourselves. See, we start by not acting out in fear of God's judgment or our ability to assess our goatly or sheepliness, but we respond with a heart of gratitude, a gratitude for how Jesus has changed us, And now he's promised us the power through the Holy Spirit so that we can have a compassion. So that we can get beyond our leastness to see the hurting and the hungry and the forgotten and the alone and the abandoned all around us. Those who need a visit. Those who are homebound. The widow, the grieving parent who's lost a child. Suddenly we see them through God's eyes. Let me give you just a quick little training session. A little quick training session in, in how we do this. It, I was trained as a child that w- when I got caught on fire, I would stop and drop and roll. Well, I'm not talking about putting out a fire this morning. I'm talking about starting a fire. I, I, I want you to, to do this three-step plan of mine. I want you to stop. Stop long enough to look and lift up your eyes and your head. I want you to pray that Jesus creed every day so that we develop a vision for God's people, the people that God desires us to see, those in need, the ones living in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our offices, in our schools, as well as those on the street corner. So stop and lift your head and look around and stop again. Stop talking, 
push the loud noises that distract us, the voices that beat us up, and train your ears to hear the needs expressed, the needs expressed of all of those around us. When we stop to listen, suddenly we hear sounds and words that we've never heard before. We hear the sadness, we hear the pain, and we are invited into it. So stop being busy, stop stop to look, stop to listen, and start. Start to train your feet and your hands to move, to act, to do something. Not something huge and humongous, but small and tangible. Acts of love. See, if we, if we stop and stop and start, we get engaged. And we don't measure ourselves by how big our ability is to meet needs. But suddenly we listen and our hearts move and they beat and we make a difference. And we love those around us. It's not complicated. It's not a seven-step thing. It's about stopping and stopping and starting. So as Jesus' creed people, we're not given the option. We have to see it as our responsibility. It's, it's our brand as Jesus' creed people to be compassionate, to be compelled to show up and to be alongside of and to be with and to be for those, those who have needs. We don't have an option, but we have to trust the Holy Spirit to do the right actions and the deeds to meet the needs. Let me give you just two quick examples. This past summer, I had the privilege of going to Zambia, to Africa, to meet our partners there. And and I was overwhelmed by these people that have virtually nothing. But these people live by faith and are constantly meeting the needs of others. These are people that do it with joy. They respond to God's grace with thanksgiving. And, and they give freely of nothing, of nothing that they have to give. These people live by faith. These people are sheep bringers and sheep bearers. Let me give you another example. Tuesday evening, I was in the kitchen here at the church, and, and I, I was overcome by this group of about 10 or 12 of our, our students, our children. There's a ministry called Tapestry with Van who's our, our middle school youth minister. It's Van works with these kids, and he's got 15 student impact leaders that have volunteered to make a difference. And in this kitchen are these kids that we call special needs kids, but, but they really, they don't have special needs. We have special needs for them. And these kids came together to make a difference, to, to make Valentine treats, Rice crispy Bars and Monster Cookies that they, that they made, and, and they made them for our seniors. These are special needs kids that, that are stopping and they're starting, starting to make a difference. So full of joy and excitement, so fully engaged and involved in doing something for others, in meeting needs. Wow, what a moment. I, I was asked to pray. I, I held hands in the circle and, and I was overwhelmed. My eyes filled with tears. I choked up a prayer and I witnessed a scene in heaven. A scene of simple, real grace lived out in a heart of action. Well, this weekend is a special weekend for us. It's a, 
a weekend called our Lake Care Weekend. And this is a weekend in which we, we install some people that we've trained to be sheep in the church. And I'm just going to quickly in the next few minutes interview a guy named Dan Rockers. Dan is, uh, he is simply a rock star. He really is. And Dan is involved in a ministry in our church. And I appreciate this guy a lot. And I wanted you to get to meet him and just hear a little bit about his story. So Dan, tell us about you. Give us some of your background. Well, first I want to say, you know, I'm very humbled from your words. And uh, looking at the bulletin, I saw the number of people that are involved. And I'm just one of many. I do so little, but... um, I guess there's a big heart out there in this church. So, um, I'm from Austin, Minnesota. So I grew up down there in southern Minnesota where um, we have a lot of big Catholic German families. I'm a ninth of ten kids. And we have actually, I have 99 first cousins. And um, my, uh, my wife, Betty, is from the Chicago area. And she has zero cousins. So, uh, we have two boys. Ian is 21 and is over at Eau Claire in his third year there. I'm trying to uh, fight for those Vikings. He's up against the wall with all those Wisconsin people. And uh, Nolan is 18 and at uh, St. Louis Park High School, uh, where we live. Dan was like you sitting in the crowd a couple years ago and he heard about this ministry and Something stirred inside of him. And, and Dan went through the training, and he's involved in a, a very impactful way. And I just want you to hear a little bit about what, what Dan's doing in the lake care ministry. Well, it was um, just a year ago that I went through the training. So it's, just, it's still pretty new for me. But it was a, you know, a service like this and of many others here at this church where um, my heart is stirred by the words, and it's really the Holy Spirit coming through, um, rich or, or friends and neighbors from, from CPC, um, and sitting in the, in, in the crowd and hearing the words of action, um, and also from a small group that I had joined. It just seems to be the, the theme is becoming stronger and stronger for me, um, at that being the hands and feet of Christ is, um, is really our command. And that stirring along with my wife urging me to, to do it and saying, that's a good fit for you. And the time was right with a little more time with the kids getting older. And um, so took the leap. And it, it's, it's not a big leap at all it, because it's, not a, it's such a welcoming group of people and leadership. The team that was up here um, doing the reading is the leadership team for congregational care. So if you can't be loved by them and welcomed, then who can you? So it wasn't, it wasn't a big leap for me. Now, it's important to know that this is not an infomercial for Lake Care Ministry, but this is, this is really a story about a guy who, who heard the word and he was moved. He was moved to love God and to love others. And so he comes into this ministry, gets trained. He's involved in this grief ministry. He's sitting around a table with a number of folks who are grieving. And, and I sat in there this fall and spoke about grief. And, and then I watched Dan facilitate and engage people and invite them to share their stories. And, 
And the guy was masterful. He, he has a PhD in sheepology. <laughs> this guy was so good at engaging and listening and tying in themes. It was a holy moment for me. This is a common guy doing uncommon acts of love. Let's just stand with this. Dan, how, how are you being transformed and shaped? How are, how's, what, what's happening to you in the process, in the midst of this? Well, I think the impact for me has been how little I have that I'm doing. It's really, it's really the Holy Spirit that shows up. These grieving folks, we don't have answers. We don't have necessarily the right words. But it's, it's been amazing in each of those meetings, our monthly um, grief meetings, that the, the Spirit will move in a different way maybe each time and in a different way for each, each person that's there. Whether it's you know, somebody that's lost a wife, then they've been together for 60 years, or somebody that lost a child two weeks ago. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's easy to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit come through us um, and just really listen. I, I don't have to do anything but just show up there. And um, it's very humbling, and it's, it's an honor to be with those folks that they take the leap to come to the meeting, really. Quote another Catholic theologian, St. Francis, says it's in giving that we receive. And Jesus told us today that when we give to others, we are loving him. Praise God, Dan, for your love of God and your love for others. Let, let's hear it from Dan. Thank you. Thanks, man.